make sure you hit the, the like Yo, 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 welcome to NS9 Live, brought to you by Pittsburgh Sports Now. I'm your host, Jim Rosati, uh, Northside Knots with me, as always, Tyler Wagner to Kutch. Tyler, how are you doing today? You know what? I wish that I was doing as well as the fellas joining us voices, because that is a voice made for radio or TV. Yeah, so let's uh, let's introduce our guest today. So no Donardo today. He's out gallivanting around New York City. So we replaced him with someone better. Brought on um, Brainton Rodgers, play-by-play guy, uh, Spencer Smith. Spencer, good evening. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, thank for having me on. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 cool to have you on. Um, if you don't follow Spencer on Twitter, he's probably the best person I've seen at posting pictures of tarps on fields <laughs> i feel like it's like a daily occurrence down there in, in, in the in the florida state league or low a southeast or whatever they're calling it now um but uh no thanks thanks for hopping on um real quick for like i mean the people who don't know who maybe don't know who you are just quick introduction uh background where you're from all that good stuff yeah born and raised in eastern washington state grew up a big mariners fan uh, was happy to see them make the run into the postseason they did this year. Finally broke that postseason drought. So that did a uh, uh, nine-year-old, ten-year-old me some good uh, deep down in my heart. But, uh, it, you know, grew up with baseball as the main dream. Originally wanted to play, wanted to step on that diamond, suit up for any of the 30 major league teams. About halfway through high school, reality set in, realized I did not have a chance to catch up to 85 mile per hour fastballs, let alone 95. And so uh, made the decision at one point that I wanted to combine my uh, my talent for speaking, for writing, for presenting with my love for baseball and for sports in general. So sports broadcasting became the career goal. Graduated from Northwest Nazarene University in Idaho, 2014. Uh, and from, then on, from that point onward, went on to a variety of roles, broadcasting media relations with collegiate summer teams, affiliated baseball teams, uh, lived in, gosh, five or six different states in my almost 10-year career now. So it's uh, it's been a wild ride, but it's uh, it's been a fun ride, and I've seen a lot of talented ball players every stop of my career. So are you an Eastern Washington college football guy? or You know, I, I follow college football a little bit bit of a more casual sense of more of an NFL forward guy. So I'm diehard Seattle Seahawks fan. Uh, Eastern Washington certainly root for their success, but I grew up more of a Washington State fan when it comes to the college game. Uh, a little bit of a conflict of interest within the family. My dad spent a, a year at the UW, and uh, my brother actually took some uh, classes at the UW, so we're a house divided. But uh, go Cougs all the way. Didn't know if you were a big Cooper Cup guy. <laughs> no, Cooper Cup, absolutely, yeah, the pride of Washington State, or the pride of Eastern Washington, I should say. Yeah, no, he's he's from there. I didn't realize. I kind of forgot about that. Um, I should but, beat him in the playoffs. Go, Gwen. Yeah, 
There we go. <laughs> um, no, again, thanks for thanks for hopping on here. Um, like I said, I really appreciate it. And and reason why we brought you on today, we we you know, kind of seasons seasons over. Not a whole lot going on right now, um, but there's going to be some pretty big rule changes going into effect in 2023. And, uh, you know, you've had experience uh, with all of these rules down there in the Florida State League. So thought it was cool to, to bring you on here, get your insight on just kind of like what what your views are on the new rules, uh, what kind of impact they had on the games. Uh, it, it was it. Was it for the good? Was it for was it for the better? Was it for the worse? You know, so uh, I think it'll be it'll be a fun episode here tonight, kind of getting your uh, your insight on what's uh, what's about to change here in Major League Baseball. So um, before we get to all that, though, um, I do want to say the Pirates made a made a, made a uh, transaction today. Uh, they claimed outfielder Ryan Vallade off of waivers. Uh, from the Colorado Rockies, 23-year-old outfielder. Um, you know, he he uh, had some pedigree in the past. He was a second-round pick, hit pretty well throughout the low minors. COVID year happened, no minor leagues. He got bumped up to AAA, and he really kind of stalled out there. Um, he's been, you know, two full seasons now in AAA, basically in Albuquerque, which is probably the most hitter friendly environment in all of baseball in the world. <laughs> um, and, and he really hasn't been able to hit there. So my just quick analysis of this is if you can't hit in Albuquerque, you probably can't hit anywhere else. Who knows? Maybe a change of scenery or a tweak will do, but I'm not really too excited about this. It just kind of seems like a, uh, and he's still sort of young at 23, so maybe there's something there, but just not really exciting stuff from Albuquerque. So it's hard to get too uh, enthusiastic about this transaction. Your thoughts, Tyler? Um, yeah, essentially the same. If yeah. if you're struggling in Colorado, there's some pause there. Uh, I mean, it's not bad to add a guy with pedigree that's still young. It's not the typical Pirates move I think we've seen where they're older type of guys that have the pedigree. So there's that. Um, it's also November 9th, so I'm not going to get up in arms about anything. Yeah, I, I think there's – I mean, there's a good shot he's not even on the 40-man roster in a month. So who, who knows what, what happens between now and spring training, but – uh Spencer, are, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, any <laughs> any uh, any Ryan Vallade experience that you've had throughout your your journeys? <laughs> no, no Ryan Vallade experience, uh, admittedly, up until now when, when the transaction came down. But uh, just as you were indicating, Jim, I think uh, you know there's a very good chance, as you were saying, this guy may there's a chance he may not be on the 40 man roster a uh, little short time from now. Uh, but you know, at this point in the off season, nothing is gotten too crazy yet this is still a, a far cry from what we could see as the potential opening day roster for the buckos in 23 and uh you know it could be the very well be the just sort of the front of the first wave of guys he may bring in for spring training to sort of provide that competitive push towards uh, other guys on the roster i mean it's going to be hard for a guy like this let's be honest to push past uh, jack suwinski for example on the roster a guy who put up a pretty solid season uh, as a rookie in the big. So you know, we'll see what time brings, but uh, I, I really don't think this is anything uh, to get too bent out of shape about at all. Well, Jim brought up the 40 man there. 
I think Spencer's seen quite I a few guys agree. in Bradenton that need to be on the 40 man. <laughs> yeah. There, there have been a... Yeah. So when did you, <laughs> so yeah, real quick. Yeah. When did you, when did you start being the play by play guy down there? So 2022 was my second season with the team. Okay. All right. So there's a couple guys we'll talk about, you know, this off season, probably Dario Lopez being a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the biggest one <laughs> I, would, I would think as far as guys who, you know, probably need added. So I, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Andy but, Rodriguez. Um, that's a Ryan Valet talk. I mean, Jim, Andy Rodriguez. Yeah, I guess Andy was there last year, huh? That's yeah. true. He did. Well, right, but Andy, we know he's added to the 40 right. man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. No, you're right. Um, so let's um, – that's enough Ryan Valade talk, I think. Yeah. Um, I thought his name was Vladi Dibots. Let's get – yeah, Ryan Valade. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I knew a little bit about him because – you know, he was in the Futures game a couple of years ago. He actually hit a home run at Coors Field in the Futures game. And so I think that kind of put him on some people's radar. But he hasn't really done anything since then. Um, but, no, let's let's move to the rule ch- changes. So, so I've got the, the press release here. I'm going to uh, just kind of bring this on the screen here so we can just go through it um, and kind of talk about what we got going on. So, no, is there a way to? Is there a way to zoom in on this? Not- Jim, we're getting old. I can't see that far. All right, let's just let's go with this. All right. So first off, let's talk about pitch timer. Um, so this is this is the release. What it said: pitch timer will improve pace of play, reduce dead time. Pitch timer regulations include the following provisions. So first off, pitcher must begin his motion before the expiration of the timer. Pitchers will have 15 seconds between pitches when the bases are empty and 20 seconds between pitches with at least one runner on base. In the minors, this was 14 seconds and 18 seconds uh, with at least one runner on base. So a little more time in the majors as opposed to the minors. Pitcher may disengage from the rubber twice per plate appearance without penalty. Timer resets when that happens. Um, Any other disengagements after that result in a balk. Um, unless an out is recorded. So that means really the pickoffs. I'm, I'm kind of getting that as so you can pick off twice. You can't do it again um, unless you get the runner out, essentially. Uh, otherwise, it's a balk. Um, disengagement count resets if the runner advances. Hitter must be in the batter's box and alert to the pitcher with at least eight seconds remaining. Testing in the minor leagues included nine seconds. Hitter receives one timeout per plate appearance. Umpires will have the authority to provide additional time if warranted. Um, so first off, before we get into kind of the stats, which they break down kind of what effects this had on games in the minor leagues. Um, just quickly, before we get into kind of like your experience with with how this role was, was in effect, real quick, like what are your just thoughts in general on the role change? Spencer, you want to kind of start with that? Yeah, I, I personally think this is a good move for baseball as a whole. Uh, this, If you were to compare side-by-side, side, uh, let's say, a clip of a half inning from 2022 compared to something from 1980, for example, uh, mm-hmm. you're looking at two almost totally different games. You know, ni- 1980, 
batters are generally standing in the box, not leaving the box at all, maybe taking one foot out briefly, sort of look at the third base coach's signals, and then boom, they're into their batting stance, pitcher's ready to go, boom, 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 a lot more snappy, a lot more uh, quick and efficient gameplay. Uh, 2022, and this isn't new, this has been the case for several years now, uh, you know, you've got human rain delays left and right. And this is not me, me trying to be, uh, you know, get off my lawn guy, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the pace of play has really taken a hit over the last several years. And I think we've, uh, you know, we've seen, especially those folks who are active on social media, uh, you've seen some really crafty and observant, observant folks out there who have taken screenshots and made tweets of this and that. Uh, just sort of comparing the effects of this, uh, looking at the some screenshots of MILB TV broadcasts, for example, uh, of what the pitch clock has done. You look at a game from 2019 or 2021, compare the first inning and what the stands behind home plate look like from that center field camera angle compared to what it looks like in the ninth inning. It, it's lively and jam-packed in the first inning. Ninth inning, everybody's gone because th- those games are taking three hours or more, whereas 2022 – you're looking at a and the latest data I have here, two hours and thirty five minutes in the average game time, and so a lot more of those fans, generally speaking, are hanging around longer and deeper into the games and, and finding themselves able to enjoy uh, much crisper, fast paced, uh, more highly involved game that you have to keep your eyes on it, and you're you're sort of uh, encouraged to keep your eyes on more because there's less of that dead time. So in just sort of wrapping up that initial thought, I really do think this is a good thing for the game. Tyler? Yeah, I used – you can ask Jim, you can ask Dardo. I was one of those people that absolutely hated anything that really changed the game of baseball. But after seeing all the people throw the numbers out of how much time it really shaves off games, I found it hard to disagree with doing so. I mean, 20 minutes a game is a big deal in the grand scheme of things when you look over 162 games a year. So I, I do think this is good. And I, I do have some follow-up questions with you when we get to it about this whole rule. I think it could be good for the game in general, just in terms of, um, I guess, maybe performance. There's some thoughts I'd like to hear from you about that. Um, but it's something I, I'm kind of looking forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe not having to wait around for a three-and-a-half-hour game three times a week. Yeah, so I um I think I was probably in your same boat like when this first got introduced, you know, a few years back. You know, I, I, why mess with the game? The game, you know, the the length is what it is. The people complaining are, you know, probably not real baseball fans anyways, or they're they're just the media and they're they're just complaining because they have to meet a deadline, right? So that that was kind of my initial thoughts when when this got introduced, uh, you know, years back, but. Then something changed and it was, I, I attended some minor league baseball games. <laughs> so like I either went to, you know, the triple A Louisville or single A Bowling Green. And it was, it was noticeable, like very noticeable that the pace of the play was faster. It was a more fun game because there was more action. Um, I like, it wasn't something that, that interfered with anything. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've attended quite a few minor league baseball games over the past couple of years. I've never seen a um, like a violation of the pitch clock rule. I'm sure there there are a few, and I'm sure Spencer maybe has some stories where you know there's there's some some good stories to tell on that. But 
Um, I never witnessed it. And I think just from like an overall attending the game as a fan, it just made it so much more enjoyable uh, because it was fast paced, didn't take very long. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the game was over in two and a half hours and there was action the entire time. So that that's kind of my take on it now. I'm excited for this to come to Major League Baseball. I think the other thing too is a lot of pitchers in Major League Baseball are probably already used to this by now. Like the pitch clock has been around in Minor League Baseball for a few years now. Um, it's been around in spring training for a few years. So I think they're, you know, I think this is going to be a good thing. It may take them a little bit of time, especially maybe some high leverage relief pitchers to, to get used to it. Um, but other than that, I think this is a win for everyone. Spencer, I did want to ask you about this. Did you happen to notice um, maybe some guys that might linger on the mound a little bit? Did you see any, say, improvement just in them in general? Because I, I subscribe to the Ray Miller work fast, change speed, throw strikes. That's all I want out of my pitchers. Did you notice anybody maybe forced to quit wandering around the mound for 30 seconds and shaking off 30,000 signs. Did you notice you know, anybody, I, like show a little bit of improvement just by being forced to, you know, not necessarily in, in terms of guys who, uh, you know, whose games dramatically turned around due to their adjustment to the pitch clock. I, I think it was just sort of an all encompassing. Everybody needs to make an adjustment, uh, with, with this new hard and fast rule in place. And, uh, you know, I really can't, point a finger necessarily at any one or two pitchers who, who I can say uh, very specifically necessarily uh, turn their season around because they're able to adapt to these changes. I, I think it just became a little bit less of a mess as the season went around. And, and even after the first month or so of this being instituted, you know, when this was first put into place in mid-April, we were seeing you know upwards of about a dozen violations a game between pitchers and batter. And, and of course, that's one of the wrinkles of the rule. This can be charged against the pitcher or the batter, depending on uh, basically boiling down whose fault it was that, that the pitch clock ran out. Uh, but you would see that so regularly throughout the course of a game into late April, even a couple of days in early May, perhaps. And then at that point, everybody just got so used to it that it just became sort of the accepted new pace of play. Everybody knew the drill. And then at that point, uh, clock violations really became few and far between. Uh, uh, so it it was really fascinating to see just in such a short span of time how quickly some guys were able to adapt. And we did see a couple of slower workers, uh, both on the Marauders roster and throughout the rest of the Florida State League. And I'm sure uh, other broadcasters and observers from other affiliated leagues can say the same. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, some of the quicker workers, uh, Justin Mice comes to mind in particular, uh, with the Marauders earlier in the season. Uh, talked to him during a uh, after a late April start in Daytona Beach when he struck out 10. And uh, just sort of I just sort of talked to him and asked, what what effect, if any, is this pitch clock having on you? And he said, really none. I've always been a quick worker in this. If anything sort of plays to my advantage, I'm ready to go in this. Uh, and this, if anything, jazzed me up a little bit more, basically. So uh, it, it was... It was really, I think, telling to see how many guys needed to adjust their routine, adjust their pace, and sort of adjust their overall approach uh, once the pitch clock was instituted. And real quick, 
before Jim speaks. I think you do bring up something interesting, Jim, about the veterans and how this has been around in the minors for a while. So I am interested to see what this does for some of those veterans that do like the labor on the mound, um, whether it has a positive impact or whether it just puts them in the toilet. Yeah, no, I'm interested to see just the effect overall. Um, you know, I, I kind of subscribe to the whole, you know, one of the, and one of the issues of, of these role changes, one is pace of play, but the other reason is, you know, making the game more enjoyable. Right. So, you know, in the, the present day baseball environment, you've got pitchers throwing harder than they've ever pitched before. You've got hitters pulling the ball in the air hard, and that's really all they're trying to do. So, you know, you're, you're maybe trying to change some of those behaviors too, because the two are feeding into each other to kind of make a less uh, fun brand of baseball, you know? Um, but so I'm wondering if, and I don't know if this is something that you you've necessarily noticed at all, but like, you know, one I've read studies where, you know, relief pitchers in general, you know, going all out on, on their, on their velocity, taking a lot of time to recover between pitches so that they can redo that same thing. Is that something like, have you noticed anything there where like, is this having an effect on pitch velocity at all? Not necessarily. I don't think, I, I think, I think if anything, and this could partly be the fact that I was broadcasting uh, the lowest level of full season affiliated baseball down single A. Uh, I, I think what I noticed the most was pitchers rushing quite a bit more. Uh, you know, sometimes mechanics would get a little bit out of whack. Uh, velocity for those guys who had the velo, that was still very much there. And to, to the best of my observation, that really didn't seem to necessarily affect that velocity in a big way. Uh, but it, it really seemed to rattle some guys, especially some of the younger and less experienced uh, pitchers who are maybe coming up from the complex league who are sort of getting their first taste of full season ball, uh, first taste in many of their cases and facing more advanced hitters. And uh, again, like I mentioned, just sort of getting seeing their mechanics get thrown out of whack a little bit because they're trying to rush and because they're trying to uh, uh, keep up with that new pace. Uh, it, it had its ramifications, but you know these guys go go on to advance. They hopefully advance up the minor league ladder. They're going to get more and more used to that and, and figure out how they can uh, adjust their mechanics accordingly, or, or just I guess to uh, make their mechanics uh, just more get their body, I guess, more in tune with their mechanics uh, so that it becomes second nature so that they don't have to think about that or have that become an issue due to the clock. Gotcha. Um, another really interesting, you know, piece of this rule, obviously, is when runners are on base, uh, throwing the ball over, holding runners on. You know, in the minor leagues in particular, you're already going to have more stolen base attempts per game, I think, than the majors, just simply because players are younger, which means they're faster. Pitchers aren't as good at holding runners on. Catchers aren't as good at, at throwing runners out. So you've got kind of the culmination of all of those things. But, um, you know, there's there's another tweak, too, that's going to have an effect on that as well. We talked about later on in this show. But um, stolen base attempts per game increased. Um, they were 2.23 times per game in 2019. Uh, and in 2022, they went up by 2.8, uh, up to 2.83. So you're looking at about a half of a stolen base attempt more per game. Uh, and you're looking at the success rate went up quite a bit from 68% to 77%. So 
that's that's pretty substantial, you know, especially over the course of 162 game season. You you kind of average all of that out. So I guess talk to me about just like what what were your observations throughout the course of the season on you know how pitchers were holding runners on, what kind of effect did this role have, and was it you know were there a few instances where you just knew the runner was going because there was nothing the pitcher could do. Like where they're like, kind of talk to me about those situations. Yeah. You, you certainly got that sense in some situations, especially uh, when there were prospects uh, on, on opposing teams, just for the sake of uh, example here against the Marauders, uh, when, when there were known speed prospects aboard on the base paths against Brayton pitching. Uh, and, and some guys did a better job of holding runners on than others. Uh, Anthony Salamito comes to mind specifically uh, in terms of a guy who, in his first start, got rocked a little bit, and uh, Fort Myers' base runners just ran all over the place against him. He had a high leg kick, slow move toward home plate. Uh, he adjusted very quickly. That didn't happen for the rest of his time, uh, for, for the rest of the season against him, really. I mean, he, he has the added advantage of being a lefty, so he's able to stare down that runner at first base uh, while he's in his stretch. Uh, but he he would uh, go to a quick slide step delivery, very quick to home plate, fast learner. But uh, guys on the flip side, though, uh, I think you would see them really struggle in terms of uh, not not quite having that that seasoned ability yet to uh, hold on to the baseball, vary their times to, to sort of hold on base runners and not not get locked into too much of a rhythm. And you would see those more experienced base runners, boom, take off without a second thought and. and in talking to a couple of guys and hearing buzz on social media, on the Twitter sphere, whatever, I, I, I've heard many accounts of pitchers feeling squeezed, feeling a little bit limited by this uh, pick off and step off limit. So that I, I like what this wrinkle of, of the rule experimentations is getting at. It, it, again, it's getting toward the pace of play issue. Uh, I wonder if there's maybe some wiggle room with this one moving forward. I, I like the intention of it. I, I like the reasoning behind it. I wonder if there could be more done to help to go back in the pitcher's favor, maybe a little bit so they don't feel uh, the base runners can so easily run rampant against them. I guess to follow up on Jim's question there, did you really notice after that first pickoff move pitchers being extremely cautious and not wanting to throw over that second time, because if you do not get them, they're gone. In many cases, yes. And I think that was where many pitchers uh, felt challenged and felt implored to, uh, uh, you know, save that, whether save the pickoff move or just to hold on to the baseball a little bit longer. Because uh, so many of these players, they were at just at the top of their game, wherever they're coming from, from their from their respective hometowns, from their their uh, uh, interscholastic leagues at their high school that they played in in high school, uh, at their small colleges, whatever the case may be, uh, you know they're they're facing in many cases so, sort of inferior levels of talent uh, to where they they start needing to make these adjustments here at the single A level on upwards, and they realize, oh, okay, there are smart guys here, there are crafty opponents here who are going to take advantage of every little opportunity. And this is one arena in which uh, in which I need to tighten down mentally and sort of pick my battles wisely. No, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I think it's funny you mentioned Anthony Solomito. So this is the first I've ever you know heard heard that story. Right? Um, I just pulled up his game log. His first game with the Marauders, 
he gave up four stolen bases in three innings. Um, second game, he gave up one. And then he didn't give up another stolen base the rest of the season. So that's kind of cool. Like after game two, like he kind of figured it out. Um, stolen uh, base dealers were 0 for 3 on him the rest of the year. And he picked off three people on the season. So that's pretty neat. Um, you know, that's something that I, I guess I never really paid attention to with him um, until you just mentioned that. So uh, like you like you said, definitely struggled right there at the very beginning, but then kind of got the hang of it and figured it out. Yeah, and I think that's a, a big takeaway that fans and those who are watching Pirates prospects uh, uh, can glean. Uh, it, it's really fascinating how some of these guys are, are so teachable and who and who can learn so quickly from experiences. That 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 was probably the biggest standout example of that that I can cite from this season. The way he was able to, uh, you know, simply observe the way that base runners were getting extended leads off him, getting easy jumps. And I remember these four Myers base runners, they were not making a close contest on the base pass at all. These catchers were having no chance at all getting that throw down to second base or third base, whatever the case may be, nearly in time. And it was nice to see him adapt the way that he did. And just to make every little adjustment, he was able to quick side note. He also didn't give up a home run all season long, which I thought was also pretty cool. There you go. There you go. No, we'll we'll definitely touch on him before we we hop off yeah. here. Um, but uh, last thing I want to touch on on this particular rule change, and then we can move on to the next one, is uh, the the actual violations that occurred. So you said at the very beginning, like you were seeing like a dozen or so per game. Obviously, that that must have gone down because this this article is saying 0.45 times per game. Uh, you know, in single A, there's probably there's probably going to be more that they're going to probably be on the higher end there, but. Um, what's a, any, any just like wild, crazy stories where like it happened in a huge leverage situation and like totally affected the game, anything like that? Not really any that I can remember, but, but I'm sure if I were to go back and, and sort of nitpick at the, at a few, few chosen instances where those penalties were assessed, I, I'm sure you could find a wealth of, of situations where, you know, it, it goes from a, a one-one count to a two-one count. That slightly sways things in the batter's favor if, if the pitcher committed the violation, and, and certainly things like that can affect uh, the outcome of a game or, or the the complexion of the game. And I think uh, the cas casual fans may not uh, fully realize or appreciate uh, the true effect that that can have. But if you were to look closely at, uh, I, I want to say it's Baseball Reference. I could be totally wrong on that, but you see sort of the little uh, the little graph of where it shows uh, likely outcomes uh, win loss wise for each team in, in, in a game uh, you know a change of account from one one to two one ju just for the sake of example uh, that can sway a game considerably and so yeah again to circle back to my answer of your question I, I I really think if you were to go back and look that uh, at every level every team every league I'm sure you'd find plenty of examples of that changing the outcome of games. I guess I'm just I'm just waiting for like in the major leagues for the for like the first time that like there's a game ending strikeout or a game like a walk off walk that happens because of one of these like that's going to be excellent. <laughs> and I'll I'll be sure I'll be sure to cite this conversation the the, the first yeah. time that happens. <laughs> yeah, like I mean it's bound to happen at some point. So no, that's so in that, a playoff game. Yeah. 
yeah, like, um, like what if the World Series ended on a pitch violation? Like, like <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, we anybody have anything else to add on the pitch clock before we move over to uh, shifts? No, uh, as I said, I'm I'm just I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to shaving a, another twenty minutes off my night before we have to jump on a post game show. That is- Broadcasters everywhere agree with you on that. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that you know what, Jim? <laughs> you know what I did want to add. You mentioned people in media complaining about the length of games. We are those people these days. That's true. We do those post game shows. So I get it's. I agree. That's actually a good thing now. I'm I'm fully in favor of it. So, um, all right. So defensive shifts. Um, now you saw a different version of this in the second half of the season, but the way that Major League Baseball is enacting this. Uh, they're going to essentially just two position players, two infielders on each side of second base when the pitch is released. All of the infielders must have both of their feet within the outer boundary of the infield uh, when the pitcher is on the rubber. So you no more positioning yourself in shallow right field, you know, if you're a second baseman, right? Uh, no switching sides. Infielders may not switch sides unless there is a substitution. So I'm just assuming that has to do with, you know, if the third baseman's moving from one side of the, the, the plate to the other, that, that would be my guess. Um, but uh, this is a big one because, um, you know, a lot of a lot of baseball's analytical advances over the last decade or so have been based around shifting, and you know they've they've figured out a way to be more efficient with where they pay, uh, you know put their position players, uh, and it's really cut down on, uh, you know, batting average of balls in play, things like that. We're getting less base hits than we've ever had before, I believe, in, in, in the history of the game. Uh, so this is something that uh, I'm really curious to just see what kind of real impact this has. Um, I'm for it. I'm for trying it. I, I'm all for trying this out because I think we've gotten to the point where there's just not enough action there's not enough balls put in play. There's not enough just base hits in general uh, in, in action on the base paths throughout the course of the game. So I'm, I'm fine with trying this. I'd like to see kind of the, the data behind it. This doesn't like the key stat that it lists here is just in, uh, shifting has increased, right? So there's no data, at least on this press release that says, you know, this, this meant, you know, batting average of balls in play went up by 15 points, right? It doesn't say that. And I don't know what that data looks like, Spencer. I don't know if you have that or, but I don't have that data. Um, but I guess just your thoughts on this particular role. You saw a second variation of this role towards the second half of the season this past year, but like overall, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? I'm in full agreement with you there, Jim, in terms of let's try it out. Why not? Because, you, you know, we're seeing such a prevalence of the three true outcomes, strikeout, walk, home run, uh, that, that it has made the game uh, a little bit a little bit boring, a little bit uh, one-dimensional, two-dimensional, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it. It's taken some of the variety, some of the excitement, some of the intrigue uh, out of the game. And so, uh, you know, th- this may be a worthwhile experiment to try and inject some of that action and some more balls in play back into the equation. Now you referred to uh, the additional wrinkle in the second half of the season. This was Florida state league exclusive. And I know a lot of the folks joining us tonight are probably familiar with the, 
the pie slice, the wedge of doom, the Bermuda Triangle, that that uh, that forbidden zone that uh, that had so many different colloquial names for it. Uh, for those unfamiliar, it, it uh, two chalk lines extending from the back edge of second base, extending toward the uh, edge of the outfield grass where it meets the infield dirt. Middle infielders cannot position themselves within that wedge uh, before the pitch is thrown, and that aims to take away uh, any sort of cheating or shifting toward the middle pre-pitch. Uh, to to my naked eye up in the broadcast booth, shortly after that rule was instituted, and, and it was first instituted for from the Marauders' perspective during a visit to Clearwater, uh, to my naked eye during that series, there seemed to be a couple of extra base hits up the middle, and, and maybe that that was sort of biased thinking and biased viewing on my uh, vantage point. Uh, they're, they're really, though, and, and again, I don't have the hard data in front of me, unfortunately, to prove or disprove this. Uh, there really didn't seem to be, in the long run of that second half of the season, there really didn't seem, seem to be a significant bend or change uh, in the amount of base hits due to that. Now, we're, we're looking, again, at just the data from one half of a 140-game season uh, so this could play out in different ways moving forward. Um, but, you know, th- this uh, this was a little bit of a funky <laughs> a funky addition to, to the defensive positioning uh, 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 rules here. I- I'm really curious to see how this plays out. I have my doubts, though. I, w- I will say that much. Did you see any sort of uh, – because I, I saw this kind of thrown around on Twitter. Like any sort of like – you know how like an arena football, you get like a head start – like, was there any of that happening? Like, shortstops running and sprinting, and then as soon as the pitch was thrown, they'd, they'd be 15 feet on the other side of the base? No, I, I never saw any of that. Uh, what I did see, though, was a, a literal towing of the line uh, on the okay. part of many middle infielders. They, they would literally have the edge of their cleats right up next to that chalk line just to cheat over as much as they could. Uh, the, the one thing, interestingly, that this did seem to affect, and I heard a couple of middle infielders uh, who came through Bradenton talk about this, they felt uh, somewhat limited in their ability to uh, get, get over to sort of work the runner, a uh, base runner leading off second base. So, you know, whereas before, guys that may be a little more, a little more leeway to sort of sneak around behind or come in from different angles. Uh, that took away some of those possibilities from them. And, and so that sort of ties back into the headache that pitchers are facing uh, in terms of holding base runners on. So uh, th- there's, there's a lot to be figured out here, but it's really interesting to see uh, all the different effects of this is all having on the game right now. Yeah. So I've got a picture up of this is, this is actually the clear water game that you, you took this picture. This, so this was your first, first experience with the pie there. Um, and yeah, I got I me mean, just looking at this picture. It's like, I would imagine this would have a significant effect. I don't know how much of an effect that th- this particular role is going to have, but I, I, like I said, I'm willing to give it a shot and, and look at the data like halfway through the year and see, all right, what's, know what's changed um but yeah interesting that's that's interesting tyler it is it is really interesting though Mm -hmm. that he brought up the holding runners part of it because that's really something i didn't think about and i do think mlb did the right thing by not going that route and i think the more important thing here is not or is having the four infielders rather than you know the predominant shift where we've got two right fielders 
Um, I think that's really the big thing we might see the difference in. And it's another role that I hated and I'm with you guys. I'm more willing to watch it play out now. I think so. The first thing that came to mind when I, when I saw this role was especially the one where um, this one, all four infielders must have both feet within the outer boundary of the infield. First off, is that defined? Like, is there, is there a length? Is there, is there a certain distance that that, has to be because then the first thing that that's popped in my head was like there's there's some teams out there that will do whatever it takes to win baseball games right like i like, minute made park we go to minute made park next year and the end you know the infield's like halfway out into the outfield so the infield is just like half the field and you know you can have base you can have people standing wherever they want like i wonder if teams are gonna actually like i wonder if there's gonna be anybody who tries something kind of kind of tricky with this where they like they like add an extra five feet to the infield i don't know or- if that's Defined or not, I don't, I don't Jim, know. Jim, what if they just bring in another outfielder to the infield? It just says four infielders must have their feet so in. All four. So that, that well, is true. I don't what if know, we like, bring, let's just bring an outfielder into the infield. Well, so you'll see that every once in a while in the ninth inning with yeah, runner on but, third. I don't know if that means that's no longer allowed. Spencer, did you see any of that stuff? No, ne- never. Okay. I, I yeah. in, in fact, I can't remember the last time I saw that in a major league game. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it happens very rarely. I can't remember the last time I saw it, but I mean, I, I know it's happened. Um, but I think that was – but I'm with you, Tyler. I think the biggest effect here is going to be left-handed hitters who pull the ball hard will no longer have that second baseman standing in shallow right field, right? So I think that's, I think that's more of an effect here than the actual lateral positioning that we're talking about. Um, I am curious to just kind of see some strategies around this though. Like, do we see, do we see teams using that arena football method where, you know, you've got a shortstop taken off and they're, they're at full sprint when the pitch gets delivered. And next thing you know, you know, they're, they're 15 feet on the other side of the base. I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm curious to just kind of see the creativity and what happens with this. Um, and I'm also curious to see what kind of effect it has on actual ball and play numbers I'm curious to see if it has a maybe it leads to you know the the comeback of the contact hitter where you know contact is valued again. So I don't know. I, I I'm I think it's worth a shot. I'm a little skeptical on like the actual results of how this will will affect the game, but I'm willing to give it a shot. So. Um anything to add on that though? No, it's I mean we're just at a point in the game right now where you mentioned that balls in play is an issue and you've been talking about it for years. We're at the breaking point with it right now. And also it's going to make O'Neill Cruz better. So I'm good with it. I think, I think it does too. Yeah. I, I'm, with you. So I'm, I'm all for whatever makes O'Neill Cruz better. So. All right. So, um, so that's the second rule change that went into effect. Last thing that, um, that happened here before we get into something that's probably coming down the road, but, uh, bigger bases. So this was this was enacted throughout the minors uh, this season. But essentially, the the reason here is, you know, player safety is what they're saying. So you're going to go from a 15 inch square to an 18 inch square, which is essentially, I guess, making, uh, you know, it says down here, bigger bases will reduce the distance between first and second base by four and a half inches. You know, a lot of times <laughs> you see stolen base attempts. Four and a half inches is 
a, a lot of like you know, it doesn't seem like it's a lot but like it's a lot like that's a lot i mean and we're all guys so four and a half inches is huge like it's just massive right no but um i got i picked up where you were where you were giggling there yeah um <laughs> i'm a child i'm sorry <laughs> but no four and a half inches now less in between bases um hoping that this is encouraging um, people to be more aggressive on the base paths, steal more bases, go for an extra base, whatever it may be. Um, this also says that base-related injuries decreased by 13% in the minors. So I think that's substantial. Um, you know, Obviously, we want to see all of the best players be healthy and be on the field. So if this is going to make players uh, safer and it's going to increase action on the base paths, why not? Yeah, I, I think just to just to give a quick hit on this, uh, it it definitely played a part in uh, spurring on the greater total and the greater frequency of base uh, stolen bases and base stealing attempts. And, and you look uh, these days also at the amount of guys who uh, you know strap that little oven mitt hand protector on their hands around the they're on the base to protect their fingers when they go sliding in uh, that. I haven't gotten a close enough look at it myself, but I would assume that has to add at least like, you know, three quarters of an inch, an additional inch. So, so that also plays into it. So <laughs> there are just all, all these little, uh, all these little wrinkles uh, that, that so far seem to be tilting things in the base runner's favor and just creating this pitcher's nightmare for the time being, uh, uh, which, you know, the powers that be very well could easily turn the tides the opposite direction. Uh, with some additional tweaking to these regulations. But yeah, in, in addition to the player safety, as you mentioned, you uh, you are seeing, uh, I think, just a, another factor encouraging base runners to be more aggressive. So I think this is one of the roles that I could take or leave. Um, when it comes to player safety, I think a better option could be to go what, with what softball has at first base and add that additional base. I think that's more conducive to player safety this this is just a role i think to increase offense while claiming player safety like the nfl does all the time i don't really yeah. know that this is something that is going to really save players in the long run if you really want to do that just add the extra base on first base because that's where most of the injuries i feel like occur yeah, I mean, they already they already did away with the whole neighborhood rule, so that took away a lot of injuries at second base. Yeah, you're not really. I feel like in the last few years, you're not seeing too many injuries as far as you know, player on player, you know, injuries. If if there's an injury on the base pads, it's, it's usually just like a fluke type deal. Um, but uh, yeah, I said I'm I'm willing to try this out if it's if it's going to add just a little bit of more action on the base paths. I'm for it. Like if if it means O'Neill Cruz gets one more triple, you know, because he, yep. he's like, hey, you know what? I have to travel 13 inches less to do this. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, I'm all for it. So uh, we'll that's see what really, happens here. Jim, that's really what we come down to. Does this help O'Neill Cruz? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if, if the rule helps out O'Neill Cruz, it's a good role. If it doesn't, it's a bad role. Uh, that's a good way to put it. So, um, no, I'm, I'm for it. Like, let's try it. I don't think this has any negative effects on anything. It's just a rule I could take or leave. I, yeah. I don't really. What it? It's fine. 
I'm not going to notice it. Yeah. Although four and a half inches, I it's noticeable. <laughs> you do. I, I will say, I, I I myself noticed the the difference in the size of the bases immediately when I saw them on the field for the first time before the Marauder season began. Uh, I, I just looked toward the the dugout and half jokingly I said to a coworker who was up there in the press box with me uh, on that non game day and just said, "Wow, look look at those pizza boxes down there because the, those things are just they're just humongous looking." But, uh, you know, you go through a full 140-game season, it just sort of becomes the new norm for you. The other thing, too, is uh, if we can get some memes like this. So this is only going to be available on the video. But, like, if we can get memes like this with, like, Jose Altuve standing next to the big base. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm all for that, too. So... <laughs> All right, so that's uh, those are the three rule changes that are going into effect. Um, I think, listen, I'm willing to try all three. I think I'm, I'm a big, big fan of the pitch clock. The other two, we'll just kind of see what kind of effect it has on the game. Um, but the last thing we want to talk about, not something that's going into effect next year, but it was in effect in the Florida State League. It's in effect in Arizona Fall League right now, so it's getting some attention there um, on social media. But uh, automated balls and strikes. So my understanding, Spencer, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, balls and strikes, you know, the, the, the umpire is notified immediately, essentially, when the pitch is made. You've got all these cameras set up around the, 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 the fields that are, that are measuring this. Um, and teams can challenge three per game. Correct. So um, I guess just um, I am – this is the one rule change that I don't think I'm ever going to really get on board with. I, I'm, I'm all for like accuracy, but I also really think there's a skill that this takes away, <laughs> like from a catcher standpoint, like framing is a skill. JT Real Muto is a great hitter, but JT Real Muto is getting paid as much as he is because of his pitch framing and how hard he worked at that. So like by doing this, you're taking away an acquired skill that players have, um, that really makes them less valuable. Um, so, so I guess, what was your experience with the pitch with the automated strike zone this year? Um, were there any like really weird situations where it was wonky and it wasn't acting very well? Um, was there was there a particular hitter that was just really good at challenges and they just knew the strike zone and they 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 never missed? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of just what was your experience with that this year? I, I had a pretty positive experience with uh, that, that new challenge system. And I, I think it comes down to uh, it being a fun and intriguing to me uh, balance of getting the call right, but also uh, keeping a little bit of that human element involved. And I'm talking about the plate umpire in, in this case, you know, the umpire uh, for the, um, you know, for these automated balls and strikes umpire makes the call uh, himself and players of course uh, have the, the uh the option to challenge and by the way for those unfamiliar it's pitcher batter catcher those are those are the only three people in the ballpark who can challenge these ball and strike calls can't come from the dugout can't come from the second baseman the shortstop what have you uh and you know i i think it just added such a a fun exciting uh new twist into the game and maybe I'm crazy for saying this, but I just 
there were certain moments where I was just so enthralled to see the outcome. Uh, you know, maybe it was a bases loaded, sort of two out, three balls, two strike situation. Uh, you know, umpire calls ball four, pitcher taps his hat, asks for the challenge, uh, gets overturned, and that just immediately shifts the mood uh, in, in such a crazy and entertaining way. I can remember seeing a couple of those. Um, you know, I, I I can certainly understand uh, not all folks being wild about it because it, it's it's a little bit weird, admittedly. It's pretty new, pretty progressive. Uh, I personally think I like it better than I like the straight automated balls and strikes with no challenges, no reviews. Um, and, and it's also a step, again, in the right direction from uh, just the umpire making the ball and strike calls himself not being subjected to the challenges. I, I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing some iteration of it uh, in the long run once the bugs are all worked out. Now, was it the same way? So when I was looking at like Arizona Fall League this year, it, it kind of reminded me of like if you watch tennis, right? And you challenge the tennis, they, they bring it up on the board and they're like, it was in, it was out, right? It kind of reminded me of that sort of technology, same sort of technology where they, they put it up on the scoreboard and you could kind of see it was it, it, like, you know, balls coming in. It's like, did it hit the strike zone or not? Is that kind of what it was? Is that what it was like? Yeah, in, it, in yeah that actually does. Yeah, it actually does use the same hardware, Hawkeye technology. Uh, right. And it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I remember chatting with a couple of people around the league at various points throughout the summer. And somebody threw out the idea of, you know, in the future, uh, why not put that on the video board? So uh, the, those views, the, those graphics, those moving graphics that you see on the those tennis broadcasts of uh, where the ball was in relation to the line, why not do that in baseball? I, I think that's uh, that would be a fun addition to just the game day experience and the fans getting the getting the skinny on every close pitch. I like that idea a lot. Well, I think that's what they're doing in the Arizona Fall League because like someone was taking a video and yeah, like they, everybody looked at the scoreboard and and yeah, it was basically like you were watching, you know, your MLB at bat app and the pitch comes in and it's like, all right, where did it hit? So I think that I I could see that adding excitement where like everybody's looking at the scoreboard, you're looking at the ball kind of move in, it's like, all right, did it touch that strike zone or not? So I could see that being pretty fun. Um, and I think as long as like, was it something like, were there a lot of games where there were no challenges and, and were there some games where they used all of them or was, did they usually use all of them? What was that kind of like? It, most games I feel you would see at least one or two used. Uh, yeah. And I, I feel like it was pretty rare to see both teams run through all their challenges, although that did happen a few times, uh, but it, it, it was pretty regular that you would see at least a, teams take a couple of chances and some are better than others. Uh, <laughs> I won't give any names, but there were a couple of, a uh, couple of guys in Bradenton who, who, uh, uh, and, and you can understand it from a certain angle. You get, you got those competitive juices going. You see a call, you don't uh, see a pitch come in. You don't agree with the call immediately want to say, Hey, I don't think that was right. And then, uh, success rates went, went down a little bit with some guys, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I think that's another part of just learning and growing uh, for each of these players. If they, you know, they continue to see this as they move up the ranks and if they uh, hopefully in, you know, each of their deserving cases, these guys get to the big leagues, they'll learn their strike zones. They'll, you know, be more disciplined in those situations. And, uh, it, <laughs> and once we start seeing stats being kept on such things, 
I think it'd be really fun and interesting to see who comes away with the best, uh, the best success rates for challenging calls and who comes away with the lowest. Bryce Harper's totally going to use every one of his team's challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Cause you're like, you look at like somebody like Juan Soto, right. And like, he's, you know, excellent command of the strike zone when he's up there at the plate and you know is, is he going to be somebody where you know it's just there will never be a bad call against Juan Soto ever again just because he knows right <laughs> so it is interesting to kind of see like the dynamic there um, I'm all for getting the call right especially like in really big moments it does kind of suck when you know high leverage situation and I mean you mentioned just the, the difference between a 2-1 count and a 1-2 count is huge you know so if you can flip that whichever way you know it's it that's a big difference in a you know in in an important part of the game so i still don't know if i'm for it um i am a little encouraged that you said that like it's only used a couple times a game i've never seen it used but um that encourages me a little bit more like the last thing i would want is just like one in inning like it's just constant, you know, challenges. And it sounds like, is, is it pretty quick? Like if you challenge, is it, how, how long? Very quick. Oh, it's it just, just a couple seconds. And that okay. was one of my, that was probably my biggest reservation coming into the season. Oh, as <laughs> you, you see all these pace of play measures being instituted, how much time does this, does this add back into the game? Now this challenge system is in place. None. Yeah. Negligible. Takes a couple of seconds, quick, snappy. It's great. Okay. Maybe you've got me. You, you've 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 convinced me a little bit on it. I, I I might be willing to give it a shot. But here's the deal: once they give it a shot, like it's not going away. Like it's it, once it's there, it's there. It's not it's not going away. But, uh, but I I do think it's better. It's similar to the shifting where we're not going all in on it. We don't have that pie situation. Uh, it's we still get to keep the human element while you know get the call right every now and then. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Now, I guess one thing too is, you know, because you have this technology and you've got the strike zone, everybody's strike zone is different based off of how tall they are. So is that, does the technology, the technology takes that into effect? Like Jose Altuve would have a smaller strike zone than O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. Jose Altuve would have a much smaller strike zone than O'Neill Cruz and Aaron Judge. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's always measured by a player's height. Gotcha. So here's the deal. This role might not be good for O'Neill Cruz. So I may be just completely anti. I'm, I'm anti now because bigger strikes. No, I think it'll be good because umpires the, seem to I, give him a bigger strike zone because he's so large. I will say this. I feel like Judge and Judge is notorious for this, but Cruz, you know, you saw it too. But those pitches that are four inches below their kneecaps that are strikes for most people, but they're not for them. Um, I guess that would be. That could that could be beneficial. So we're back on. It's beneficial for him. So it's yeah, I'm back. I'm back on it. I'm back yep. on it. Good, good. To, to be fair, O'Neill Cruz can golf pitches that are two inches above the dirt uh, out into the Allegheny River. So that <laughs> just make, make what you will of that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's it for the rule changes. You got anything to add to that, Tyler? No, I. For once. With Major League Baseball, I'm slightly encouraged on the direction. And I yeah. never thought I'd say that, considering if this was five years ago, I would hate every role, tra- role change that's coming into play. But now I'm old. Yeah. 
There you go. Look at you on, on board with stuff. I'm old now. Um, Closing in on 30. I'm I'm tired. I don't want to be up till 10 watching games. Yeah. I'm a West Coast game. You're up till one. How about that? Yeah, you guys are. Yeah. Um, Spencer, anything that uh, that we may have missed about these rule changes that, that kind of pops in your head as far as something to add? No, I think you guys did a good job of sort of exploring every angle and every uh, possible impact on the game that all these rules uh, can have. And I, I'm, uh, I'm glad that I got such an intimate firsthand look at all these throughout the summer uh, to be able to share all this information with you. Again, I think, uh, I think the game is headed in some uh, potentially exciting and positive directions. And uh, I'm excited to see where this will leave uh, the game of baseball as a whole in the next five, ten years. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm I'm on board with everything right now. Um, I, I really hope there's this causes some changes to really just balls in play and just action in general. I'm a little leery that I think that that it will do that, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. I think there's a few more things that need to be done, but I think this is a good start. Let's shift because we we just hit the one hour mark. We don't want to we don't want to keep you too long here, but. Uh, I do want to talk. I mean, since since you were with Bradenton all year, um, you know, we let's let's talk about the Marauders a little bit as far as, uh, you know, what stood out to you, uh, what, uh, you know, may, maybe there's a few things here that maybe some, some players that flew under the radar that aren't getting the attention that they maybe deserve. Um, I'm looking, let me pull up just Bradenton's Stats here, twenty twenty two. Jim just wants you to talk Berg. about Henry Davis. That's all he wants. <laughs> well, Henry like. Henry Davis was only there for five five games. That's year, yeah, so. but he wants to know Not every that. intimate detail about those five games. <laughs> no, nah, you're good. You're good. Jim's there. a Louisville um, guy, so I'm a okay. Guy. So Jake's what we need to talk about is Jake Snyder. No, just, no, no I don't even think he was there this year. So um, no, he was not. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess if we're looking at, you know, offense, I think that, you know, at the be- very beginning of the year, not really a prospect, but he just new to or new to the organization, uh, got moved up pretty quickly. Um, the, you know, Jacob Gonzalez kind of just killed the ball the, the, the first month. Um, and then he kind of went back to reality a little bit, but I guess to tell, I mean, that, that was a pretty crazy month he had there. Um, so, so what, like kind of, what was that like just seeing him locked in and just, just destroying people? It, it was ridiculous. It, it was a lot of fun. And granted he was, uh, well above the average age for the Florida state league. Uh, you're looking at a guy who missed a little bit of time, uh, when he was in the giants organization, uh, there was supposedly some, uh, some defensive issues he was trying to work through. Uh, when he was still in their system, uh, seems to have found a pretty solid home at first base uh, here in the Pirate system. Did a good job moving around the bag, always aggressive, diving after balls, making picks. Always made that look uh, look clean and easy. Uh, and, and he he was a solid leader too. I mean, he he just won a, a leadership award for uh, among all Pirates farmhands uh, just in these past couple of days here. And I, I saw that firsthand just how much of a positive and uplifting presence he was. Uh, in the clubhouse is one of the older guys on the Marauders roster during that first month. Uh, you know, did a great job of helping establish the mood in the room and, and you know, helping lead these guys uh, through their journeys. You're talking about a, a roster full of guys who are still only 20, 21 years old, uh, and in a couple of cases, only 19 still. Um, right. 
so so it, it was really fun and encouraging to see a guy like him uh, in Bradenton for the short time that we that we had him. And also comes from great pedigree, of course. His dad, former uh, National League All-Star Luis Gonzalez. And uh, he, yeah, ter- terrific guy, Class A fella, and exciting baseball player who I'm I'm excited to see him hopefully start the year at AA this year. Uh, we'll see if the future holds for him. Hope to see him get an opportunity in the bigs one day. Yeah, I mean, he strikes me as someone who just, you know, organizational depth, but at the same time, like just someone you would like want to have on your team, you know, from, from like a minor league team standpoint. Uh, and he didn't do poorly when he got promoted to Greensboro. Like he was, he, he played just fine there. Um, you know, the, the, his age definitely doesn't make him a prospect that like you're, you're quote unquote excited about, but no, that, that month in Bradenton was, was pretty crazy. Um, another guy I want to talk about, and it's someone who I feel like gets overlooked because to be honest, I can't even pronounce his name, <laughs> but he had a he had a really good year. Um, Twenty years old, correct me, Zung Z Zhang, Zung Che Cheng, Zung Che Cheng, Zung Che Cheng. So, um, probably not not anybody we've ever talked about on this show, um, but hit 270, 376 on base percentage, four eighteen slugging percentage, um, weighted runs created plus of one twenty nine getting into all that stuff. Um, he was, and he stole 33 bases. Uh, so I guess, tell me about him a little bit. Cause like somebody who's not really on the radar of most pirates fans, I would say. Yeah. Uh, he, he actually introduced himself in a big way to us down in Bradenton. He hit a three run homer that tied a game against the blue Jays in big league spring training uh, at, at Lee Com park, I believe April fool's day in a really weird spring training game that ended in a tie. Uh, but uh, it, it was uh, it, it proved to be a sample size of some of the things he would do for the Marauders over the summer. He, he brings it all. He's a spark plug. Uh, he's got the speed, bat to ball skills, uh, really confident presence at shortstop. And, and for a guy who came into the season at just 20 years old, uh, he was the most calm and smooth and polished guy uh, at that level at that age that I think I've ever seen at, at single A. I was really impressed by his play. Um, his, thro- his arm was strong. Throws were always very accurate. Um, Long term, I wonder if he's a guy that may just be forced to second base due to his size. You rarely do see a full-time five foot seven shortstop in the major leagues. Uh, but that, that's not to say he's not capable of playing there full-time though. He, he showed his chops and, uh, He's also got some sneaky power to go along with the package. He was one of my uh, favorite players to watch offensively throughout the season. So you said yeah. your no, favorite no. player to watch, though. Who was the best player you watched, and why was it Andy Rodriguez? <laughs> well, that'll be going into last year for talking yeah, Bradenton. Andy, but, uh, Andy wasn't yeah. there in Bradenton, so. But yeah, but obviously, no, he he certainly kept it up. I mean, he pushed all the way up to AAA yeah. this year, and uh, that that was just so phenomenal to see his rampant push up the organization after the season he had with us last season. I mean, I really want uh, to talk about Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah, he, he's a guy deserving of plenty of chatter. He. Yeah. You look at him, and maybe not as much this year. I was told he put on a little bit more muscle this year. Uh, I mean, last year, you would look at this guy and you would think, okay, he's probably a you know second-base shortstop prospect. 
Uh, no, dude's a catcher, but oh yeah, he could certainly play second base or shortstop if you give him the opportunity. <laughs> I mean, he's he's think think Brandon Inge, but with a way way better bat. <laughs> the guy is just a ridiculous athlete. He can play anywhere. He can run. He can throw. He, he does it all. And uh, sort of cut from the same cloth actually as Sung Jae Chang. And when Chang came in uh, to Bradenton this season, he actually. Uh, Harken back in, uh, in my opinion, to Andy a little bit, uh, just in terms of his his policy and, and his relative maturity for his age, uh, and the way that he was able to be a leader on the field. Um, so yeah, with, with Andy, just the sky's the limit for him. I'm excited to see him get that first taste of the big soon. Real quick, a couple other hitters before we get to like the obvious names. Uh, Bradenton definitely got a lot more interesting, like as the season went along. Um, but, uh, one guy I want to talk about and he, he bit of a disappointment cause he started the year in Greensboro. He was in Bradenton last year, came back to Bradenton this year after struggling mightily at Greensboro. Um, Michael Escado, he didn't really play a whole lot, <laughs> uh, 25 games overall this year. Like he was someone who I like going into the season, I kind of had some high hopes on. Um, what did you see from him kind of when he got got demoted back to Bradenton? Yeah, what I saw from him from the get-go was just a reminder of the raw tools that he has. Uh, he, he's able to smoke line drives all over the park. He has the occasional pop that he'll show. Uh, strong arm, plays with a lot of energy, still working on uh, – you know, playing more within control at shortstop. We, we saw quite a bit last season when he was our regular shortstop. Um, quite a few wild throws, to, to be frank. Uh, and, and that's part of that just boils down to age and maturity. You know, you're going you know, to develop, generally speaking, a more accurate throwing arm and a better, uh, you know, better sense of when you need to put a little more zip and hurry the throw and when you can take your time. Uh, so, after getting a little bit of a taste and reminder of the raw tools that he has, he unfortunately fell into a couple of slumps and, and he just got into a funk that he really was not able to climb out of it. And it was unfortunate to see he got, uh, you know, we saw some more swings and misses. He wasn't, wasn't able to make adjustments to off speed pitching or fastballs upstairs. Uh, the, the way that we've seen him do in flashes and, uh, Sounds like to me he's still working on sharpening the mental side of his game a little bit. Um, but the fact that he was included in that tie-on trade, one of the four prospects that came from the Yankees in that deal, um, you know, Pirates organization still thinks highly of him. They're, they've still got uh, got a good deal invested in him. And, and although he may not be as high on the depth chart as some of the other guys currently, like uh, Leo Verpiguero, uh, in terms of fellow middle infielders, uh, you know, it, it's not all lost for him. He's he just needs to take a take take a proverbial step back in a deep breath, uh, reassess things, and then just put the you know put the pedal to the metal and have a stronger, more consistent twenty twenty three. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to kind of see him get it because the tools are there. Uh, so it'd be nice to kind of just see him put it all together. You know, and this is you're probably looking at now his third year because you're probably going back to Bradenton next year. You know, he's probably not making the jump up. So you're th year three in Bradenton. You know, you're kind of losing your prospect shine at that point. And so it's to, it's going to be a big year for him next year because if it's it's he's either got to put it you know put up or 
or, or you know, he's done probably you know, as a as a realistic prospect in the system. Um, another international signing uh, that uh, that was in Bradenton for the first time this year played pretty well. The strikeout numbers a little concerning, but you know, overall decent numbers. Uh, Rodolfo Nolasco, um, talk to me about just kind of what you saw out of him this year. I like Nolasco a lot. Uh, that strikeout rate. Uh, for the most part, was inflated by earlier in the season when a lot of the offense was struggling. Uh, Nolasco, and, and I think, I want to say some point in mid to late May, really turned on the Jets. And we started to see some crazy light tower power that is true, it's real, it's going to play in the big leagues if he can get there. Uh, Nolasco, I felt, was quite a quite a bit in front of his peers, uh, guys of similar age in the league in terms of physicality. He's a big, strong guy and a very, very lean, strong guy. Uh, just so much strength and power in that core and just ridiculously strong legs. I mean, <laughs> you watch the guy take batting practice and it's almost just like nuff said type situation you, you watch him mash a couple of baseballs and then uh and it's not just batting practice power he put on quite a show uh in a handful of games midsummer where he homered in four straight games at a point i believe it was in late july or maybe early august uh and then a stretch of like shoot what was it five home runs in seven games and he was right at the top of the league leaderboard in home runs in the fsl for a while and, and all the while continued to decrease the strikeouts but uh unfortunately he ended up dealing with a little injury missed a couple of weeks and that couldn't have come at, at a worse time the, the team continued to play okay without him uh but he for the time that he did miss he actually had a second stint on the il uh, again later in the season uh he was that net, he was that one big thing that the team was missing. I think down the stretch run uh, that really could have helped push the team over. But uh, but yeah, in terms of the the defense, he has a cannon of an arm. He could play solid right field, moves around fairly well as long as he keeps the conditioning in check. Uh, he's going to be fun. Okay. Um, moving over the pitchers before we get into like the obvious hitter that we'll we'll kind of end with, but um, couple couple pitchers that are that are intriguing. Po Yu Chen, you know, was with the team pretty much the entire team year. I want to hear more about Po Yu Chen because he dominated in the Florida Coast League, like just absolutely dominated last year. Um, kind of got on everybody's radar. Uh, and then I also want to hear about Carlos Jimenez a little bit. Um, and then even Peralta, like Peralta's numbers weren't great, but man, he struck out a ton of people. So I guess kind of talk about like Chen, Peralta, Jimenez. I mean, just those, that trio. I just wanted to know who yeah. the obvious one is. What, the hitter? <laughs> yeah. The hitter is going to be Tamar Johnson. We'll get to Tamar Johnson. Well, you didn't mention Bubba Chandler, so I was a little confused. We'll talk about Bubba too. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just waiting until we got there. <laughs> so to give you some quick hits on those three pitchers that you mentioned, uh, Chen. A guy who has exceptional spin rate on each pitch in his arsenal, uh, fastball, changeup, curveball, slider. Uh, inherently, the issue with high spin rate is sometimes it can be difficult to consistently uh, spot your pitches and, and command the baseball. Uh, he he showed spurts where he was in full command of his pitches, where he was able to generate a few extra strikeouts, 
uh, get some weak contact, uh, quite a few ground ball outs in, in some particularly impressive stretches. Uh, and then there were other times where, uh, you know, he would get two strikes on batters and then just couldn't put them away. Um, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily cause for alarm. I think just with that high spin rate and still learning his body, learning his own strengths, uh, still learning how to pitch, I think, a little bit. And you mentioned his success in the complex league last season. He just mowed down opposing hitters. Uh, that, that was just a product of, I think, just facing much less experienced hitters and doing what he should have done against them. Uh, but it, in the FSL, he showed uh, plenty of flashes of brilliance. I, I would expect to see him in the Greensboro rotation to begin next season. Uh, no, no reason not to, I don't think. Um, I, I was really impressed by his uh, diligence and work that he talked about in working on his stamina and his strength uh, this past off season and leading into 2022. Uh, that allowed him to pitch deeper into games, uh, you know, cut down on his fatigue that he said he was experiencing late in 2021 and uh, I think good things on the horizon for Chen uh, touching on Luis Peralta uh, talk about a fiery volatile left-hander I mean this guy throws 95 96 97 you don't get that from very many lefties of course uh, hammer of a curveball uh, really struggle with his commands uh, and when, when he was on he was on uh, unfortunately even when he was striking guys out, sometimes the walks would come uh, in little handfuls as well. Uh, and, and there were a couple of outings where he wasn't even able to make it through two or three innings. And that really hurt in a season where the Bradenton starting rotation was at times kind of a weak spot for the team. Uh, and, and so Peralta ended up going on the development list for a couple of weeks, uh, just missed a couple of starts while he's working on some specific skills in bullpens and off to the side, taking out the pressure of game situations. Uh, I really don't see him long-term as a starter unless he takes a big step forward next season, uh, but he can be a really fun and intriguing uh, bullpen option. Uh, <laughs> still too early to make yeah. a, 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 a full assessment of him in terms of what what's he going to be in the long run, but I just see him as the quintessential Tampa Bay Rays reliever with crazy stuff who hitters just can't touch. <laughs> I mean, he, he would yeah. just seem not, not to speculate, always oh, going to get traded or play for whatever ever team, but he, he just seems to be one of those unicorns in, in just a fun and interesting way. And then um, Carlos Jimenez, I think what was the other guy that, that you want yeah. to know about? Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting guy started this season at age 19 uh, fastball, 95, 96. Uh, he'll blow hitters away. He'll get swings and misses. Throws a curveball, really good changeup. Changeup he takes special pride in. And you'll see that, of course, more against lefty hitters than against righty hitters. Uh, plenty of swing and miss stuff, but he will – he, unlike Peralta, who really doesn't give up a lot of hits, we saw Jimenez get shelled at, at times when he made mistake pitches. And uh, – where things would spiral out of control for him was he, he, he's a fiery competitor and at times he would wear his heart on his sleeve and we would see him get visibly frustrated on the mound. And I mean, look, you're, you're looking at a, at a 19, 20 year old prospect who's still finding his way. Uh, that's going to happen. Uh, he, he needs, just needs to get to a point where he can be uh, a little more men mentally durable. Uh, having faced the adversity that he did this past season, I think uh, was probably a constructive thing for him in the long run. Uh, 
hopefully I would see we would see him strike out more hitters while keeping that walk rate a little bit lower, spotting his pitch more consistently, and maybe see him pitch a little more deeper in the games, see him go more starts of five-plus innings, unlike what we saw uh, this past season where we sometimes saw him unable to make it through three or four. All right. Good assessment. Uh, Peralta was the one I was like kind of most intrigued on because not really somebody that we've talked about a lot. You know, the, the K rate really kind of struck out to me. The walks are, like you mentioned, all over the place. Six and a half walks per nine. Um, but 14, over 14 strikeouts per nine innings, which are, you know, last year we saw those Mickey Mouse type numbers out of Jared Jones. And so, you know, you've, you've kind of got him now coming from the left side, putting up those same sort of strikeout numbers, but not getting the results that Jared Jones kind of, you know, got overall. Jared Jones also a little wild, but not that wild. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm interested. Those three guys are just kind of people to, to keep on the radar. They're not huge prospects by any means, but all, all interesting arms and, you know, still young, like really young. Um, the other the other part to touch but, on there, I think, is just him mentioning these non-prospects that are – non-prospects is the wrong term, but lower-level prospects that are throwing 95-plus that I don't know that we've really seen much of that lately with the Pirates. A lot of these big arms coming through with the velocity mm-hmm. that could lead into that reliever role, which has been a weakness of this major league club for a couple years now. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I would I would say that uh, with some of the pitching coaches that are in the system, and we had Jorman Bazardo, a guy with a handful of years of major league experience, and then Fernando Nieve, uh, who is the who's our pitching coach in Bradenton, twenty twenty one, up at Greensboro this past season. Uh, guys like them, I think, really worked wonders. Some of the top prospects uh, pitching wise in the organization, and, and I have pretty high hopes for what they can do with guys like like Jimenez, like Peralta and so on. It's good to see some electric arms again. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. So before we get to Bubba Chandler, Anthony Solomito and Tamar Johnson, anyone that we've missed that you're like, you know what? I need to say something about this guy. One name that I had down here is Valentin Linares, uh, not a ranked prospect anywhere that, uh, that I saw really, but, uh, Big guy, six foot five, two thirty. Uh, just physically, you look at him; he fits the mold of a big league starting pitcher. Uh, and <laughs> it's it's just a matter of, of durability. Like those a lot of those bigger frames that tends to hint at uh, you know better ability to withstand the wear and tear of a one hundred sixty two game season as a player moves along in his career. Uh, but in terms of what we saw on the mound from Linares. Uh, Pretty good poise overall, uh, command, decent, uh, really good two-seam fastball that we saw generate some swings and misses. He'll rack up strikeouts now and then. Not an ultra-high strikeout rate guy, but a lot of ground balls. And mm-hmm. you know, that could be really helpful for him moving forward. Uh, off, a lot of his off-speed pitches, he, he said, are still sort of a work in progress. Uh, but just with, with the size and mound presence that he brings, uh, he, he was sort of the top of the rotation guy. Uh, for much of the summer, and uh, you talked about <laughs> what will really uh, intrigue me about him was uh, I, I talked to him, gosh, probably July, uh, some midway point of the season after one of his outstanding starts, 
uh, you know, talk to him, you know, you know, how, what's your, what's your history in baseball personally? What, uh, was this always what you wanted to do growing up in the Dominican? Uh, he, he said, uh, he said that no, he, he took to baseball probably around 13, 14 years old. And for a while he couldn't even catch the baseball, uh, uh right around that age. And that's, yeah. uh, that's different from what a lot of kids growing up in the Dominican can say. I mean, these, these kids are much, many of them very young and they know how to field a ground ball and make all these slick plays. Uh, but if you're, if you're looking at sort of an underdog story, maybe how the Dominican, uh, Lenar is an interesting guy to keep an eye on. And, and uh, with the, the Jared Joneses and the Luis Ortizes of the world and Quinn Priester, uh, an organization full of some uh, quite a few intriguing pitching prospects, uh, don't overlook Valentin Linares. All right. Valentin Linares. Um, did he, he ended the season in Greensboro, right? Uh, no, he, oh, sorry. No. Yes, he did. Yeah. He okay. Did. Yeah. But yeah. No, it was like a cup of coffee. He had like the last two games, I think were there, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good stuff. Not a guy that we've talked about either. So yeah, that was, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, all right. So let's get to the big three guys that I think the majority of everybody's probably probably wanting to uh, talk about. Let's start first with uh, Solomito. He was there the longest. Um, I don't think you could have really asked for much more out of, you know, your your top pitcher that you took in the 2021 draft than than what you got out of him this year. Um he, you know, 13 total games. He started eight of those. You know, there was a few piggy get back situations there. 47 innings, 15 strikeouts, only 19 walks, um, 2.64 earned run average. He <laughs> 31 hits and like the whip was really good. Didn't get like runners on on base. Like he just pitched really, really well for his first season of pro ball. Um, I guess just like, yeah, I mean, you got to see him pretty much. I think, I think he, I think he got onto the roster in like beginning of June, maybe mid May, late May. Um, late May. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, tell me about his, his first pro ball, first season of pro ball. I mean, he's phenomenal to watch. Uh, you would, you would think, and this was sort of one of the big bullet points, if you will, on him uh, when he first came out of the draft, uh, kid coming out of high school with that funky, crazy delivery. Uh, mm-hmm. Is he going to be able to keep his mechanics in check? That was the big question surrounding him. Uh, and, and he does. He really does. He repeats his delivery. His mechanics uh, generally don't get out of whack on him. Uh, although I will say he made an adjustment this season. Uh, and very early on, as I recall, uh, highlights of him from, from out of Pirate City or from his high school days, uh, you know, you see his glove and his hand together kind of, uh, far out away from his bodies. He does kind of the, the crazy leg kick and Madison Bumgarner uh, arm slot. Uh, he actually started at one point sort of tucking his hands a little bit closer to his chest. And, and that was uh, served as sort of a trigger within his delivery that uh, helped him stay in line a little bit better. Um, right. And uh, again, touching as we touched on earlier in the conversation, his ability to adjust and be coachable and to learn uh, as he goes. But, uh, yeah, he, he was just exciting to watch in the way that he uh, learned and adjusted and the way he used his repertoire, that sinker, slurve, slider, changeup. Uh, all four of those pitches are pretty intriguing to watch. Uh, that sinker is just so instrumental in ground ball outs, which he got a lot of, and that speaks highly to the fact they didn't allow a single home run. 
and as a 19 year old in his first professional season, which you yeah. just don't see, you just don't right. see that. Um, and, and yeah, so, so good command, good poise and really above all good makeup. He was always uh, bright and positive presence in the clubhouse gelled very well with everybody uh, was always really uh, kind and accommodating to any uh, media that want to talk to him on the phone or in person. Uh, really solid guy. Uh, I, I'm just sky's the limit for him <laughs> along with a uh, number of the other guys we've talked about tonight. He he's just so much fun. I'm really encouraged by you bringing up that he was able to add that slide step because as pirates fans, we've gone through a lot of these minor league pitchers that just have not been able to hold runners or make that adjustment. We watched Tyler glass. Now a struggle with that. Garrett Cole never was able to learn the slide step and doing that at the single way level, as well as you mentioned the the funky delivery, that's a big change being able to add a slide step to that. So it's very time, Yeah. 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 And, and, and from an outsider's perspective, you, you would think that this, uh, you know, this, 18-year-old at the time, kid with just the weird funky delivery that he's going to be pigeonholed and very stuck in his ways, and you will not mess with it. Otherwise, you're going to mess him up and derail him. Uh, no, so far from the case. I think it's worth noting, too, that, um, you know, a lot of these guys come out of high school, and it's not that they've never pitched this many innings before, because they have. Like, they've, they've pitched, you know, these guys pitch all year, all year round when they're kids. Um, but, you know, you probably haven't pitched as many uh, high leverage, high impact innings as you do your first year of pro ball. So it was really encouraging for me to see just kind of how he finished like the the last month of the year, month and a half. He was almost unhittable. Um, I think he I mean, he had one hit in his last start, two hits, one hit, three like and, and just dominated. He had two outings, you know, sprinkled in there too, where, you know, he came out of the bullpen, but went four innings with no hits given up, like just a special talent. And like I said, I said it when I, when I brought him up, I don't think you could have, I don't know if there was anything more he could have done this year to like be more impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a guy also who I would not uh, count out for skipping a level. Yeah. I, I would, I would not be the least bit shocked to see him start at Altoona next year. Okay. That would be aggressive. That would be aggressive. I mean, I'd, I'd be all for it. But and, and again, it's not, it's not to make any speculations. Yeah. Player development will we'll do what they'll do. I mean, if, yeah. if they compare to Santa to Greensboro, that, uh, I mean, that, that wouldn't be disappointing. That wouldn't be, uh, you know, conservative, I don't think, with, with a guy yeah. who's still 19 and still young. Yeah, but, you yeah. know. The guy who can yeah. advance up the ranks quickly, at least. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I, I'm excited to see him next year. Um, excited to see him pitch more. I mean, obviously, first year of pro ball, they're a little, they're a little, uh, they're pretty careful with those guys when it comes to their innings. 47 and two thirds innings. So maybe next year you see that creep up into like the 90, 90 to 100 range, maybe. Um, but no, good, good stuff out of out of. Uh, the first pitcher the Pirates took in the 2021 draft. So good, 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 awesome season there for him. Um, next up, let's talk about Bubba Chandler. Um, really interesting character, really interesting baseball player. Um, I, I, I'm still kind of skeptical on his ability to hit. And, but I, I'm cool with like 
hit as long as it doesn't as long as it doesn't affect your pitching. So, um, Bubba Chandler, he came in I think a, just about the same time as Salamito, maybe a little bit later. Um, but what was it like watching him? I mean, true true two way player, um, but obviously the pitching is ahead of the hitting. I think is yeah a fair yeah well, yeah. Yeah, mo- most evaluators tend to agree that uh, his ceiling is higher as a pitcher. Uh, and, and early on, I think we saw some more of the tools present in terms of his uh, at the plate, in terms of his ability to you know, hit hard line drives and uh, show a steady presence in the batter's box. Uh, you you wouldn't necessarily think that that he that he was 19 years old by the way you look at him stand in the box and take his swings up there. I mean, he, he looks just like a, a slightly stronger, bigger, more confident and relaxed guy in the batter's box. Um, that being said, he did struggle with the swings and misses quite a bit uh, as time went on later in the summer. A uh, little flash of power at the end of the season. He did hit his first uh, single-A home run uh, down in the final uh, homestand of the year, so that, that was a fun moment for him. Um, but he did basically get shut down as a hitter the final two weeks uh, of the season, focused on the pitching the rest of the way, and for good reason. He He's just got a crazy fun repertoire, fastball, 97, 98, 99. I mean, he was, he was just cranking 98, 99 his debut uh, with, with us at, at Lecom Park. He debuted, and, and that was really wowing everybody in the stands that day. Um, but he's got the he's got the breaking ball, and he learned to command his pitch a little bit better as time went on this season. Uh, and, and as long as he continues to build that arsenal and command what he has, uh, you're looking at a guy who could probably give you at least a solid five six every time out, and, and who brings that football mentality on the mound. He's a sport athlete growing up, and he <laughs> he freely admitted he sort of has two different personalities based on whether he's hitting or pitching. He has two different walk up songs. Uh, and he, he would use Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle when he took the mound. And uh, that that's the same song that Randy Johnson would use back in his heyday. And uh, he's got the long hair. He's got the crazy competitive fire. Uh, it, it, it works. Anytime he's on the mound, watch out, tune in. You, you cannot miss it. He seems to be described a lot more as a thrower than a pitcher at this point. Um, you mentioned the stuff. He's definitely an exciting guy. Just really want to see that the stuff really be honed in for him. I mean, 98, 99 at 19 years old is definitely something to be excited about. And the two sport athlete, he could probably be starting at Clemson right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in terms of being described as more of a thrower than a pitcher. Uh, yeah, sure. Given the, the age and, and just the, the seasoning still required, uh, th- there's certainly some room for growth and for polish in terms of the, the mechanics and just the overall approach. Uh, I think once that falls into place, though, uh, he's just going to continue to get better and better. Yeah, I think um, and he was another like Sol- Solomito, like down the stretch also pitched really well i think he was you know he was a man among boys in the complex league like i I don't did he give up a hit like okay he gave up three hits in like 15 innings like but like no one could touch him down there um and then he you know he came up to break to to you know the florida state league and he got he got rocked in his first outing a little bit 
um, you know, kind of a welcome to, to full season ball type of deal. But really after that first start, he kind of settled down the rest of the year. Um, I, I think I, like Tyler said, maybe a little less polished, right? Like less polished than Salamito, obviously. We, we just talked about him and, and kind of where he's at in his development. Um, you know, he didn't have a ton of time pitching, started six games, 26 innings. Just kind of your gut feeling. Does he start next year in Bradenton? I think there's a chance, yeah. And just, again, largely due to his age, I think there's a chance yeah. that he'll be moved along uh, pretty slowly, pretty conservatively. Uh, but, you know, even if he does start next season in Bradenton, uh, if all goes well, if all goes according to plan from the perspective of Pirates player development, uh, he, would, he wouldn't be in Greensboro uh, in, in uh, too long. Mm-hmm. That's kind of kind of my thought process there too, and then like from the hitting standpoint, you mentioned you know they they shut him down. So as much as I think Pirates fans would love to like have the next Shohei Otani, I don't think that's what we have here. <laughs> would you kind of agree with that, or did you see some stuff with the bat where it's like, hey, you know what? There's something here. It's just going to take a while to develop. Like, kind of, kind of yeah. what's your assessment there? Yeah, if uh, if the bats if the bat has a uh, any serious future, there is quite a bit of room for improvement. Uh, I personally am not ready to throw in the towel just yet in terms of a two-way future, uh, but just uh, advising caution for, for fans and for uh, uh, passionate evaluators. Uh, you, you know, you're, <laughs> I hesitate to use the word unicorn, <laughs> but that's basically what it is. You know, a guy like Shohei Otani, a, a two-sport athlete, is just not something the sport sees hardly ever. So it's, you know, temporary expectations and it's not a knock on him, but uh, you know, the pitch, the pitching is clearly where his higher ceiling is and very well could be where the pirates could opt to use him more exclusively in the future. Uh, if the bat uh, doesn't take a, a considerable leap forward. Yeah. You're probably getting to that point where you really want to polish the pitching and taking away time from, working on the hittings, the, the diminishing returns are going to start to come into play. Yeah. Yeah. And as you, as you face more advanced pitching as a player, moving up the system, the, the holes, the weaknesses will expose themselves. Uh, you know, what, what that says for Chandler's future, of course, we can't tell just yet. Um, but you know, Pirates PD will make that decision. And uh, it, uh, I'll be curious to see what they decide on that, whether to keep uh you know, keep him going two way for the time being, see how things go in the near future, or just further polish the pitching as you were hinting at there, Tyler. All right. Um, and then last but Get not to the least, fun guy. Last but not least, um, first round pick this year, Tamar Johnson. He started off in the complex league, played nine games there, um, got moved up to Bradenton pretty quickly. And I mean, seems like it kind of hit the ground running. Really good 14 games, uh, 275, 396 on base percentage, 450 slugging. Uh, you know, short time, but weighted runs created plus of 139. Um, hit his first home run, stole four bases. Uh, I guess I, what I'm kind of more interested in is, you know, he played mostly second base, it looks like. So, 
I think when the Pirates actually announced him and the draft, like they, they announced him as a shortstop, everybody was like, he's probably a second yeah. baseman. So I guess um, <laughs> what was it like to see him? I mean, it was two weeks basically, but three weeks. But yeah, I mean, what was he like? Yeah, defensively, as you were getting at, he, he did primarily play second base. A couple of spot starts at shortstop. And, and going by the small sample size that we saw, I think he, he could be serviceable there at shortstop. But but certainly, I would think uh, the long-term future is at second base. But we've seen the Pirates are not afraid to move guys around. And so um, and Tamar himself spoke about this willingness to contribute wherever he says, whether that's you know second base, third base, the outfield. I don't care. I just want to play. I want to help bring a World Series to Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, good on him for, for putting forth uh, uh, the effort, the verbal commitment to everything. I mean, he, he's all in. He's, uh, he's really the full package. And uh, looking at the hitting, which, of course, is the most intriguing uh, tool with this guy, uh, when bat meets ball with Tamar Johnson, it makes a very loud sound. <laughs> I mean, I can't put it any plainer. He 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 produced some pretty high exit velocities uh, in his relatively short cameo at Single A, and it, it's exciting to watch. And, and for a for an 18 year old left handed hitter facing you know so many advanced and experienced college arms, uh, he even though there was the occasional swing and miss, there wasn't a ton of chase going on. Uh, seemed to spot all types of pitches relatively well. And again, when he made contact, he made hard contact. Most of his hits were not cheapos. Uh, and <laughs> I, I would envision him maybe long-term as a pretty solid number two hitter in the order, especially if some more of that power continues to develop. And uh, yeah, he, he's a guy who could really be an impact hitter at, at, uh, at the big league level, provided all goes well in his development. And he's uh, you know, able to continue to dominate opposing pitching like he has so far. Uh, I, I know his complex league numbers didn't blow anyone away. In fact, they didn't look good at first glance. But, uh, you know, what, what I think a lot of folks don't realize, player development will will see certain things that go beyond the batting average, beyond the OBP and the, you know, the what have you. They look at high exit velos. They look at discipline approach. And I talked about Chandler, especially earlier in his time as a hitter this season, and showing a, a pretty disciplined and calm and chill approach. Uh, Johnson's a similar way, if not a little bit more so. Uh, you would never guess he was 18 years old. Uh, I, as I as I watched him from the broadcast booth take his plate appearances, uh, he just looked so firm and and confident up there. Uh, you know, you would never guess this was an 18 year old kid facing a lot of 22, 23 year olds, and uh, he <laughs> that bat's going to take him a long way. I love the guy. I love the approach. I love the swing. The consistency of it. It's a bat that probably can move through the organization pretty quickly. You love the walk rate at 18 years old, even if it's a small sample size. There's a lot to really like about the guy. Absolutely. And, and yeah, good kid to boot. I mean, this uh, we, we had the privilege of having so many just generally great guys come through Bradenton this summer. And uh, he, he's one of them. He, this was very evident uh, during the uh, draft day coverage on TV. Uh, just that, that combination of, of humility, but all, also just this utter confidence that, that just drips from him. And that, uh, that really came through in the couple of inter- interviews I did with him during the season. And, uh, you know, not another high makeup guy to go with the tools that you see on the field. 
No, definitely. I mean, the, the, from a, you know, we talked about Solomito in his first season of pro ball, you know, not much more you would have wanted to see out of, you know, the, the first glance at Tamar Johnson. So uh, really impressive debut. Um, I, I would expect, I mean, he only played 14 games for Bradenton. I mean, Pirates might get really aggressive there, but I could see him starting back there in Bradenton, you know, for, for next year, but moving to Greensboro relatively quickly if all things go well. So, um, but we're an hour and 43 minutes in. So I think, I think we're going to probably, probably cut it here. We could talk almost forever, the length of a baseball game. Yeah. We could talk forever. It's like, a, yeah, it's like a minor league baseball game right there. Um, but no, Spencer, I, I really appreciate you hopping on here and talking about, yeah. you know, the role changes with us, um, your, your, your experiences there in Bradenton, your, your firsthand look at, at these guys on the Marauders this past, these past two years. So thank you for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. hope, hope you enjoyed it. Maybe have you back on again here, uh, here later on, but, uh, yeah, definitely appreciate you, you hopping on. Yeah. Happy to. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, if you don't follow Spencer on Twitter, he is at the Spencer Smith Spencer with an S. Um, just so make sure you got that in there, but, uh, no, I said if you if you want to see all the pictures of all the Marauders rain delays, he'll he'll make sure they're up there. Yeah, so, uh, um, which those happen frequent down there. But uh, no, no, good stuff. I appreciate you again. Thanks a lot. Um, anything that we want to wrap up with before we before we log off here? Let's go, Bucks. Let's go, Bucks. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, again, I'm Jim Tyler Spencer. Again, thanks for hopping on. Um, That'll do it for today. Uh, we'll be, I think, the next thing we've got going on, probably another NS9 Live next week is, is probably the next thing we'll do. So um, we'll be uh, we'll be back on here soon. I think uh, free agency starts in like a couple days. So maybe something will happen. Who knows? But that's all I got. I'll see you guys later. Peace out, ourselves. Oh, 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 oh